Welcome to episode 35 of the GameBots podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this week's episode, we are going to be discussing the Netflix original Unicorn Store. I have played a fair bit of Mortal Kombat 11. There's been some PlayStation 5 news released in the past month since we have done our normal show, and there has been some YouTube drama with the video game reviewer Pro Jared, and we will be playing our Amazon review game. But first, Christian, you saw Unicorn Store uh, this week. What did you think of it? It was very, very weird. Uh, it was Brie Larson's directorial debut, so I was uh, I was really looking forward to it. It has Brie Larson and Sam Jackson, so after uh, after enjoying Captain Marvel as much as I did, I was really looking forward to seeing the two of them again, so I was pretty excited for this one. Yeah, I, w- I haven't heard anything about this, but when I brought up the IMDb, I can't believe that Brie Larson and Samuel Jackson are starring in two movies in the same yep. year. <laughs> yeah, and the, the cast is pretty big. Like, there's a lot of people in it. I remember uh, seeing most of them in the trailer, but I'd kind of forgotten about it because it had been a while since I watched it till I got around to actually watching the movie. And so, like, every 10 minutes or so, I was like, oh, man, they're in it. Oh, man, he's in it. So it's, yeah, Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, Bradley Whitford plays the plays Brie Larson's father, who I just I just love him in basically everything. Uh, Joan Cusack plays her mother. Um, Ryan Hansen is in it, who I really enjoyed seeing because I've been watching a lot of Veronica Mars, and he plays just a truly awful human being of veronica morris and he, he couldn't be farther from that in this so that was a, an interesting heel turn so what is this movie about it is about a girl named kit who has failed out of art school she basically grew up wanting to just like she grew up wanting to do that just be like an artist but be like a very like aggressively flamboyant i guess is the way i would put it like lots of very bright colors um nothing's really structured in any way like it shows her at the beginning just kind of splashing colors on the canvas and not even hitting the canvas most of the time uh but once she fails out of art school it's about her trying to force herself to be a grown-up so she joins a temp agency and gets placed in like a marketing firm and she's trying to uh, like learn how to sell vacuums with this marketing firm. And then it kind of gets derailed after she meets Samuel L. Jackson and he offers to sell her a unicorn. So then the, the rest of the movie then is about her trying to become a person who is worthy of owning a unicorn. So he gives her like a checklist of... Uh, you need to make sure you're financially stable. You need to make sure you have a place where the unicorn can live. You need to make sure you have hay that the unicorn can eat. And I guess it has to be multicolored hay because she dyes it with Easter egg dye. And it's it's very, very strange. It sounds like a checklist you would need for either like a pet or a child. Uh, minus the hay. Yeah, so... I'm not really sure what the lesson is in this because it's, it's almost exactly like you said, like it seems to me like in their original writing of this, the plan was for the lesson to be, it's okay to be yourself. 
like because throughout she kind of learns to embrace her like silly childish side instead of trying to shove it down but instead it kind of lands on in order to be fulfilled in life you need a child because yeah the entire movie is basically just about preparing yourself to like serve this new life that's going to be coming to live with you so like yeah make sure you can buy it everything it needs make sure you can feed it make sure you can house it is your house worthy of it is like uh how's your family life is one of the things so she has to work out unresolved issues with her parents like it yeah so it it ends up being it, it ends up seeming at least like an allegory for like getting ready for a child and it's that that falls a little flat does it come off as a bit preachy? Not necessarily preachy, just, I don't know, maybe like a little condescending almost. Not not quite that either. It's, it's yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with the right, the right word for it. it it's just, it's a little off-putting. Hmm. Is the unicorn actually real, do you find out? Yeah, so that's that's like a, a key thing. So I guess spoilers for this, if if uh, you don't want to know, um, skip ahead a, a little bit. But yeah, so she goes through all this, and then she brings her friend to the store, and the, the unicorn store is gone. It's all packed up. It's just an empty building. And uh, he, they're freaking out because she gave Sam Jackson like her financial information because that was one of the, the checklist things. So now maybe he's an identity thief. Um, but then at the end, yes, the unicorn is real. She goes to pick it up and it's there. And uh, she decides she she's grown enough that she doesn't need it anymore. And so she lets the, the other woman who's been working towards getting it have the unicorn instead. Interesting. Interesting plot points there. Uh, so how <laughs> was there anyone in this that you were really excited about or who uh, who performed really well? Yes, yeah, so Bradley Whitford is amazing. Like I love him in almost everything. The first thing, and what, really the only thing I'd seen him in for a very long time, was he played Josh in West Wing, which was on, I think it started in 1998, 1999. And he was one of my favorite characters in that. I just, I loved him. Uh, he was in Cabin in the Woods. He was one of the control room operators. And that was really the only thing I'd ever seen him in. But the, after... Uh, last year he played like the evil father in get out and after that he's had like a bit of a resurgence he's been in a number of things he's got another show coming out this fall i think on hbo where he's in charge of like a, a church choir maybe which i don't know it looks good but I, i'm just i'm happy he's getting a, a bunch of work again because i'd like seeing him and stuff how was joan cusack in it she was good like there were some legitimately touching moments in this and I would say all of the cast did a really good job. It was just a little strange movie. Um, but like the Brad Whitford and Joan Cusack run a, it's, uh, it's like an outdoor odyssey, like camp for like troubled teens, I think. And they, there's a couple scenes there and like the teens come up to Brie Larson and tell her like, we just lie when they ask us to like share our feelings because then we, we like, we can move on. And like Bradley Whitford then has a, a scene where he's like, we know they're lying. Like their lives are terrible. We have to let them, uh, like we have to let them 
ease into this. Like, of course, they're going to lie the first couple of times, but eventually they stop and then they can start to grow. And so like there there were some legitimately very well written, very nice moments in this, but they're overshadowed by a lot of just the the very bizarre. Is there any bizarre scenes where you're like, well, that was that was ridiculous. Yeah, there's one in particular like she she's trying to win over her boss and like learn to sell vacuum cleaners and she gives a presentation that she's not really invited to do. She just kind of hijacks this meeting and she comes in covered head to toe in like glittery tassels and she's throwing glitter and confetti all over everybody. And it was like it was just stressful to watch. Because I'm thinking about if I was in this meeting and this woman threw glitter in my chicken, I would lose my mind. And so, yeah, yeah, like she comes in like full crazy mode and she's talking about, you know, believing in your dreams and embracing the power of like colors and things. And I was just like, mm, mm, mm. no, I'm, one, I'm, I'm not on board for this. The one guaranteed way to get fired at work is to throw glitter everywhere because you <laughs> cannot get that out of it anything and no one likes it nope it was yeah it was stressful <laughs> did she lose her job because i mean uh yes <laughs> <laughs> good the went, went for realism there. yeah i i can't remember if she gets fired or if she just quits out of disappointment that nobody reacted to the the confetti the way she wanted her, them to but she is definitely unemployed after that scene one way or another <laughs> So looking on Rotten Tomatoes, it looks like the critics gave this a 64% and the audience a 43%. Where do you fall on this one? I'm probably closer to 60 just just for the actor performances. Like I said, everyone in this was great. I don't think it deserves a 40. Um, maybe the writing alone deserved a 40. Um, but, but the performances really elevate this in, in a way that wouldn't have been otherwise. So would you recommend our viewers check this one out? Uh, honestly, probably not. Like it was, yeah, it was good and, and everyone in it was good, but it was just, it was longer than I would have wanted to dedicate to this particular story. NetherRealm Studios recently released Mortal Kombat 11, and I've gotten a chance to check it out. Now, full disclosure, this is not going to be my normal Platinum review because I've not yet Platinumed it, but I'm pretty much at the point where I'm just grinding, so I just need to play the same mode for another 30 hours and I'll have it, or something like that, maybe 20 hours. So I feel like I can give a pretty good uh, perspective on this so far. So Mortal Kombat was released by NetherRealm Studios. Um, if Everyone really knows Mortal Kombat back from the 90s when it was owned by Midway. And they made, I believe, eight games under Midway. And then Midway collapsed and NetherRealm Studios got the rights and they started their own thing. And Mortal Kombat really got rebooted with Mortal Kombat 9. And so Mortal Kombat 9, 10, and 11 are basically a trilogy where you follow the story of Raiden trying to undo... All the events that led through the storylines of Mortal Kombat's 1 through 8, which ultimately uh, resulted in the destruction of all life in Shao Kahn ruling the world. And so this one ties up this trilogy. So uh, I really like the Mortal Kombat stories, uh, especially 9, 10, and 11. I haven't actually played 9 and 10, but I've watched almost all the story playthroughs on YouTube just because <laughs> I, I really like the characters in these games. 
which is surprising for a fighting game. Um, they do story mode right. It is essentially a five-hour movie punctuated by you doing uh, fights. And there's, I think, 12 chapters in this one, and you do about four or five fights per chapter. And it's just an excuse to have you check out all the different stages. But I do like the backdrop that they have and everything. Um, so this one primarily follows the idea that a god it was mad at Raiden, who is one of the main characters, the original one, the lightning god, for disturbing the balance she had made of good and evil, and he had tipped it too far on the side of good. So she starts rewinding time, and you get a whole time travel dynamic where new char old characters come into the current timeline, and they meet their counterparts, and some of them disappear. And it basically retcons a lot of stuff that happened in Mortal Kombat 9 and 10, so it looks like going from 12 on, everything will be wiped, and they will choose what they have thought worked. And it'll be its whole new timeline. But overall, I, I really did enjoy this story. I primarily bought this game to play the story mode. And I, I'm happy I did. It, it was awesome. Man, I can't believe there have been 11 Mortal Kombat. Yeah, so the first three are 2D fighters. And then four through Armageddon, but really eight, are 3D uh, fighters like Tekken or Soul Calibur. And I, I did not like those ones too much. And then starting with 9, 10, and 11, they went back to 2D uh, fighters, similar to the Injustice series, because NetherRealm also does that. They also did uh, Mortal Kombat for DC, which was a 2D fighter as well. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. So that that's the story mode, obviously, in a fighting game is the minor portion of it. Other things this game include are they have an insane tutorial, which I'm not good at fighting games, and I thought I felt like it really helped me understand the mechanics. I'm still not good enough to execute a lot of this stuff, but it is the most <laughs> in-depth tutorial I've ever played on a fighting game. They have online components, which are fine. They're your basic online things. You have uh, casual matches or competitive. You can do King of the Hill where one person just fights, keeps fighting until someone takes them down. I haven't done a ton of online. I, I'm doing basically what I need to do for the trophy, which is 50 casual matches. I think I'm like 10 matches in right now. I'm 3 and 7 or something. So I'm not great at these games. And then the really, they, they have the classic towers, which is you fight between 5 and 10 of 10 or 12 opponents, whatever the numbers are, and you get a story of what happens when each person wins uh, by defeating the big bad boss. And then the the one the thing that they were really selling this game on were are called the Towers of Time, which they're basically combat towers, but they have modifiers in them where you can basically overpower your character or underpower them, and the other side has powers. So like you can shoot missiles or you can get health back, things like that, or you can call an assist to help you. And this is really what they, I think they planned on a lot of the community playing because this is how you unlock a lot of the customizables for this game. Mm -hmm. And actually, this is where the game fell under a lot of flack on its initial release. Um, so I actually, they, they've updated it and I think it's fine now. I've played a lot of this game. So on its initial release, they... So how you unlock things in Mortal Kombat are either you complete these towers or you get gold coins, um, souls, or hearts from performing fatalities, and you go into what's called the crypt, and you run around the crypt, and you find chests, and you open them. They're randomized, and so people started claiming, like, this This is like loot boxes because you don't really know what you're getting. 
and things like that. And I will agree it's kind of annoying not knowing what you're getting, but after playing this game for, I think, like 25 to 30 hours, I've I've unlocked a fair bit of stuff, so I'm, I don't care that much. But I understand if you're playing one character, if you're not getting the unlocks you want, it can be pretty frustrating. But when the f- game first came out, the rewards for winning were really, really low in comparison to what they updated them to. Like, if you won a match before... I want to say you got like 300 coins and now if you want to match you get like a thousand so they tripled them in some instances oh wow yeah it, it was pretty rough um i mean i played a fair bit and i unlocked stuff but it's definitely nicer i like the new unlock rate they have and the other thing was the towers of time when they first released were really hard like they were near impossible if you weren't using your own modifiers or upgraded your gear in some way uh, like the enemy projectiles coming in, you can block now, but originally you couldn't. So you would just get locked in loops where you couldn't dodge or block this thing. It would knock you over. They would hit you. You get back up, it would hit you again. So it was just like very frustrating loops that were not fun. So I, I think those complaints were really legitimate. But since they patched it out, I think within the first week that the game was released and they, they gave you extra hearts, coins and stuff... I, I don't think the drop rates are that bad anymore. A lot of people, and I this game got a lot of bad press for it, were claiming that Mortal Kombat was encouraging microtransactions, which I think is misleading. You mm-hmm. can buy premium currency in Mortal Kombat. They're called uh, crystals. But you there is not like a store that you can just buy whatever it is with crystals. They have a rotating list of, I think, five things every 12 hours, and it's skins or intros that you can buy with crystals. So there is uh, articles out there that's like, to unlock everything in Mortal Kombat, you need to spend $6,000, which I guess is technically the truth, but that's assuming you just spend that and you don't play the game at all, and you also have to wait for everything to slide around, which would take, I don't know, close to a year, something like that. So, Oh, my God. Yeah, like, it, I don't think it's a traditional thing like that, you know? It's more people were frustrated because they weren't having enough currency to open stuff or the things they wanted were locked behind really hard Towers of Time. Now that I think the Towers of Time are manageable, I think the unlock rate in the in the crypt is completely fine. I mean, I've opened over probably 300 chests at this point. I have a couple costumes for each character. I have, you know, different items for them. I don't think it's too bad. Um... One interesting thing about this game, though, is you can choose to have the AI play for you. So, so on some of like the harder towers of time, you can just have the the computer beat them for you. <laughs> so that's like another nice way around it. Like I, I one of the one of the trophies is you have to beat two hundred and fifty towers, and I probably beat like sixty right now. Oh, wow. So I will just put the computer on and read a book while <laughs> while it beats stuff for me, <laughs> and I'm just grinding money for it. Um, so I mean that's kind of cheating, but. Also, 250 towers is a lot to play through in the game. Yeah, that's that's asking a bit. I gotta say, the fatalities in this game, very gruesome, very cool. They're easier to pull off than I remember from the last Mortal Kombat game I really played hard was Mortal Kombat 3, and I always had a hard time pulling them off. I can do them pretty well in this one, but I wish they had a skip button because I, I, I've seen the same... Each character only has two fatalities, so I've seen the same one like 30 or 40 times now like i just want to keep it moving at this point overall i think this game is solid i it, it, it dropped down to 50 dollars within its first week of release i think because of a lot of the negativity right now it's user score on metacritic sitting at 2.9 and it has a lot of zeros which 
even if you're mad at the game, I don't think it's a zero game. Like the actual technical fighting aspects of this game are solid. Like there, it's so much fun to pull off special moves and everything. So I just think that's wrong to pan a game entirely because you didn't like some of its initial practices. Critic score has it at an 83, and I tend to agree with that one more. If I had to put it on a tier, I'd say like this is a B tier game. You know, it's a really good fighting game. If you're into fighting games, you'll like it. Even if you're not that good, you can put it on lower difficulties, which I appreciate because I'm horrible with these games. But like I said, <laughs> I, I love the story mode. So I, I think it's a good game. All right, now on to video game news. Sony recently announced through an interview with Wire that they uh, will definitely be releasing the PlayStation 5, but I guess, to be fair, they said an unnamed follow-up to the PlayStation 4, but I, th I think it's safe to assume they'll name it the PlayStation 5. <laughs> yep, I would imagine. Yeah, so I don't want to I don't want to bring in the whole thing. If you guys want to check it out, it's on Wired. But I just wanted to point out a couple things that I thought were really cool and I'm excited that make me excited about the PlayStation 5 in a way that I was not excited for the PlayStation 4. One is it seems like it's going to have a solid state drive. Uh, there was an example in there where the reporter played Spider-Man and fast traveled. And I've, I've played Spider-Man and I, you know, I had fast travel and I think it takes somewhere between like 50 and 30 seconds on my PlayStation 4 to go from what, from hitting it and then to appearing where you're supposed to. They said in this, it took, I think a fraction of a second, like you didn't even go into a loading screen. You just zoomed across the map, which oh, wow. is crazy to me. Yeah, that would be very nice. Yeah, I, I'm excited about that one because my biggest annoyance with a lot of games lately has been loading screens. Um, why I really do not like playing Battlefront 2 is it takes me like a minute and a half to two minutes to go from like starting it on my PlayStation to actually being able to choose a match and then waiting again to choose a match. It, it takes that long just to load up its main menu, which I think is ridiculous. Well, you had mentioned fast travel time. I mean, if, if I had to, I, I think we talked about this before, like if I had to have a gripe with Horizon Zero Dawn, it would be the fact that it takes me like two to three minutes to travel from one bit of the map to the other using the, the fast travel mechanic. Yeah, so I am really excited about this. I wonder if this will hold up for PlayStation 5 games because obviously there's going to be more information in it now, but I'm hoping it helps. Um, yeah. my, my worry is... Solid state drives are not uh, inexpensive in comparison to normal hard drives. Like, they are considerably more expensive. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I'm wondering if that will jack the price up. The other big thing that I am pumped about, which really disappointed me about the PlayStation 4, but I understand why they didn't do it with the PlayStation 3, is the PlayStation 5 will be backwards compatible. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that I am because I have such a big like playstation 4 library building up like i'm going to be very excited to play uh those games on the on the five uh, while i'm waiting for the to get some new games for the five I, that's part of the reason why i love my playstation 2 is i think i played final fantasy 7 the first time on it you know mm -hmm. like 2000 or whatever and if that didn't have that feature i probably would have never played that game or at least i wouldn't have it that early you know oh yeah like, I, I have an original PlayStation, but I can't tell you the last time I turned it on because, I mean, 
I, I, obviously it was a long, long time, long time ago, but like I would just play all my PS one games on my PS two. Like it was, it was great. The article did not give a price point, which, you know, I'm not surprised about. They claim that it's going to be cheap compared to other computers of its uh, specs, which I think is kind of speak, you know, just them trying to brace the consumer that it's going to be more than the $400 price point that the PlayStation 4 was <laughs> released at. But they released the PlayStation 3 back in, I think, 2006 at $600, and it was disastrous yep. for them. I cannot imagine they they put this up to six hundred. My guess is four ninety nine. I remember that because the the that one was like six six fifty. I remember the Xbox that came out alongside it was like five or five or six two, and then the Wii came out and it was two fifty, and it sold and sold and sold. And it was like three or four years later, and the the price of the Wii had not dropped at all. It was still holding steady at two fifty. Yeah, I mean, that's an underrated thing on why I think PlayStation is, well, maybe not underrated, but I mean, this has to be a contributing factor as to why PlayStation is winning this generation so hard. The original launch of the three, the Xbox One, I think, came out at $500, and PlayStation came in at $100 cheaper, and if you don't have brand loyalty, you're sitting there thinking, well, I can get this thing that is basically the same. I don't have, like, the annoying controls that the, the connect controls that xbox is forcing on me and i can either buy another controller or i can buy a game yeah yeah i remember when the xbox one came out and uh it was or when it was announced anyway and and it was met with a, a fair amount of negative emotion because i remember part of it was the it had to be connected like once a day or you wouldn't be like it had to be connected to the internet once a day or you couldn't it would like lock your account for for x amount of time yep it was all it had the drm always online stuff i mean they had a lot of stumbling blocks going out the gate on that one which i don't think they're going to repeat those mistakes again and i'm hoping sony is not like complacent in their strategy and they they stay competitive with xbox because i think it's it's better for both consoles i think the industry in general when they are both actually being innovative like xbox game pass is awesome and I, I kind of PlayStation takes that idea from them, but you know that's like one thing that could help them in the next generation is if they really push that. In other news, we are going to be talking about a topic that I I think is gaming adjacent. Pro Jared is a YouTube uh, game reviewing personality. He had over a million subscribers. He's someone who I actually used to watch pretty consistently until maybe 2016 when he stopped uh, releasing reviews. Uh, maybe he would do it like maybe once a year and he started focusing on Let's Plays and D&D, which I, I don't really like Let's Plays, so I lost interest when, when he wasn't releasing videos. Uh, but... Last week, I believe it was on May 9th, he released an announcement that him and his wife were getting a divorce uh, with some key points being that he said that him and his wife had tried therapy. It was for both their well-beings and they hoped that they, you know, could move on amicably, blah, blah, blah. And normally, you know, divorces happen. This would not be a thing that becomes news. But as soon as he said that, his wife came out on Twitter and said... <laughs> 
you know, I gave pro Jer I gave I gave Jared his wife his wife's name's Heidi. Heidi says I gave Jared a chance to come out in his own way, and he did it by trying to throw me under the bus. And she went on to say that uh, Jared had been cheating on her with another YouTube personality from the Game Grumps named Holly uh, for over a year, and that you know he had made her feel horrible about herself and blamed her for their marriage all the while he was cheating on her and. She was like trying to reconcile it, um, and then he, she claims that he had blocked her on Twitter, so she couldn't even see his release. She had to hear about it from friends, and then, I mean, it was it was crazy. Then what started coming out of the woodwork at this point? Uh, Holly tried to come to Jared's defense, and then Heidi, you know, insulted her, saying stuff about her sending nudes and that she was basically a homewrecker. And then we found out that Pro Jared had allegedly pressured fans to send him sexually explicit images, which I think this turns out to be true because there are now nudes of Pro Jared floating around online. (laughs) (laughs) And then the biggest thing to come out of this was uh, it seems like he solicited these images from underage children, uh, under you know underage kids who are probably 16, 15 at the time. You know, I think seven or eight people have come out so far. And so while this is all going on in Twitter, this blows up and becomes the number one trending topic. So people who had never heard of this guy before were weighing in. And he got kicked off of his own subreddit as a moderator. They <laughs> turned it into just they posted memes about him and then they shut it down. All of his YouTube videos have just been bombarded with negative comments. His Twitch was bombarded with negative comments and he went from having he lost 200,000 subscribers in the past uh I want to say 4 days. He lost 100,000 on May 9th alone. Oh he God. went from having like 1.1 to like He's in the 800,000s now, which is still respectable, but, I mean, it was a real, real fallout. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, Did you get a chance to check out any of this, Christian? I did. I I read the Kotaku article that you had sent. It's, oh, man, it's a mess. So, like, first of all, why? I mean, I, I understand that he blocked her, right? But, like... She's a fairly like she's a she's a fairly prolific like online presence herself, right? His, yeah, his she, wife. she she's a cosplayer. I would I mean, I I knew who she was because I watched his videos and had seen his Twitter before and he's like, you know, I'm going with my wife and I checked her out. I think he was definitely much more of a public figure, but I think in her own sphere of cosplay, she's probably pretty well known. So like why would you go online and post this stuff that you knew was going to probably rile her up when you know she has like her own like her own sphere of influence and like even if you blocked her like that's gonna get to her one way or another and like what do you imagine her response is going to be well well, right so this is what's interesting is if her and i think we'll get into this in a little bit if her claims are to be believed, he was abusing her in some way. And I couldn't pick up if it was like physical, if it was sexual, if it was like emotional, it was mental. My, my feeling was it was like an emotional manipulation and mental abuse. I think he was his thinking, if this is true, that she would just sit there and take it and then he could direct the narrative. I guess it's just one of those things that it's like, 
there was a there was a mistake here made. I mean, I'm I'm sure there were many mistakes here made, but like in in the like in the immediate way that this played out, like if he had just kept his mouth shut and been like, uh, "We're getting a divorce," um, you know, like we ask for your like support in in this time and and just left it at that. I feel like a lot of this would have been avoided. This like public ugliness. But well, yeah. <laughs> he had he had to like he had to run his mouth a little bit and and provoke her I guess. Yeah, and so well number also I I don't think anyone could have imagined this the way it did because I mean like while he has a million subscribers like he's pretty much a what like a C list celebrity like I, I don't even know what you would call him like. How many people in your life know who he was? I'm the only person I've ever known who's like, oh yeah, I, I watch Pro Jared in mm-hmm. real in real life. So I, I don't know if he's expecting that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like even if he had just come clean and said, you know, like me and my wife are having troubles, I, I don't know. Just don't make a statement at that point, you know. Like, yeah. all right, we're trying. If you're trying to try and work it out privately, but I, I again, I think he was like trying to control the narrative so that he wouldn't hurt his career, and she <laughs> burned it down. <laughs> yeah, I I listened to a, a a pop culture podcast, and I know on, that one of the points they make regularly is you don't always have to say something. It's okay to just say nothing about these things sometimes. <laughs> I mean, that's what he's doing now. He has made a statement since she released that. Like, I don't think there's any. Well, yeah, yeah, he's taking that. But so, I mean, that's the main parts that were just insane to watch. Like everyone's reaction on Twitter, which is its own form of entertainment. But then watching that got me thinking about, I think, some topics that are slightly more substantive and interesting, which is one generally when is someone considered a public figure enough for the public to really have a say or be allowed to voice their opinions on like these people's dirty laundries in a, uh, like specifically like uh, him cheating on her and their divorce. So I, I don't know if it's about being a public figure. I think it's maybe about the mode at which this dirty laundry becomes public. Like if if it if this was like these two were having problems and like somebody found out about it and like made a big thing about it, I think that's like that's crappy to like jump all over it then. But I think since they're going to like have their argument in public, I like that's like they're they're the players and they're the ones who chose like the arena in which this is going to be decided. And so I think it's pretty much fair game for people to have opinions now of like, since they're the ones who brought it out into the public to begin with, like you get what you like, it is what you make of it. You reap what you sow. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I can see your point on that, especially because he is the one who released like the public statement first, trying to, trying to form the narrative and then you get a fire back. It's just, it's so much. And I, I think this one maybe is a little bit of a special case because everyone is very fired up about spousal infidelity. I think you don't see many people being like, yeah, you should be able to cheat on your spouse. (laughs) Uh, But like, had this just been a normal divorce, you know, I don't think it blows up the way it did. And I think if people started commenting it as much, had this just been like an amicable one, I I think that would have been less fair to talk about. But I think you add like these incendiary elements 
especially because, like you said, they are fighting in a very public space. Like she, Heidi released a lot of tweets about this. <laughs> so like, I, I think people in general should maybe refrain from this in some instances, but maybe not necessarily this one. Yeah. Like, I mean, first, like, don't, don't cheat on your spouse. Like, and, and, you know, problem solved. Don't solicit like nude pictures from strangers thing. Like yeah. if there is some form of sexual predation involved, I think it's always fair to call that out. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I, I mean, I, I'm speaking more in the abstract of like trying to disassociate this idea from pro Jared right now, because that like, now that that's come out, that's like a whole nother level where it's like, Whoa, like someone needs to look into this. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I want to follow up on that is uh, Holly had come to support Jared in some way and sort of implied that Heidi was lying but didn't come out and deny these allegations. So Heidi sent a tweet back at her that basically said, you looked very insecure in the nudes you sent my husband. Maybe you would help your self-confidence if you didn't bang other <laughs> other women's husbands or you know, bang married men. And then people, like, not a ton, but some people got on Heidi being like, that's a low blow. Like, you, you can't call her out. This isn't her fault. Like, you can't call it mistresses. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, I guess maybe you have a point if, like, this is an innocent player and she had no idea that this guy was married. But, like, this was, like, a family friend. Like, this was clearly premeditated. I think it's totally fair to call her out when she tries to insinuate that you are lying. First of all, that's an amazing tweet. <laughs> and, but yes, you're right. Like, if if this was somebody who had been, like, hoodwinked, like, oh, I had no idea that the, that he was married, then, like, yeah, that's, like, the mistake was not hers to, the, like, so she should be left alone, right? Like, she's just as much a victim as he is, but that is not the case here. Like, if you are a willing participant in, like, knowing and willing, then, like, that's a whole other ballgame. Then, like, you are just as guilty yeah and here's the thing like apparently holly and jared do live D D campaigns they apparently they, they created characters who were dating in the game which is just a whole nother undercurrent when all this comes out and it's like wow you guys are bold yeah that's <laughs> that's on another level uh, and then the last point i want to get to which I want to be clear. I, I'm not asking this to justify Jared's cheating, his un, getting underage nudes. And I, I'm not dis, defending what is I think is scummy behavior on him if it's true. Uh, but I, I just like to explore this idea a little bit. Uh, can you just take a Twitter user's word about effects? Like, had no other information come out about the underage nudes and stuff, Jared releases a statement and his wife immediately says, Jared cheated on me. And then everyone piles on like, how, how does a Twitter user decide who's right and who's wrong? I mean, like she could be totally lying in this instance. I don't think she is with everything that else that came out, but in general, like, do you just believe what you hear on Twitter? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> that's a tough one. Like context is important. I think like you have to, you have to look at the whole picture. You have to consider the source. And I mean, the, the source here is especially tricky because it's like, 
I I don't really know this person at all, right? Like I I'm, I'm not a part of this world, so I don't know how reliable they are to begin with. That they're obviously have a reason to like mess up this dude's life and future, but like, so I I think at the outset, if if I had been like if I had been a part of this right from the beginning, watching the story unfold. I would have been a little skeptical, but then, like, as more information comes out, then it's going to be, like, tough to refute. But if it's somebody that, like, if it's, if it's a public figure that I would, that I was familiar with, and, like, I was like, oh, that person seems like they're on the up and up, then I would be a little more willing to believe kind of sight unseen. But, it like, I, I approach it with skepticism at the beginning just because I don't really know this person at all, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think this is a little bit different than when news sources do this, but my like, let's just say, you know, I, completely hypothetical on this. Uh, they were actually getting a divorce, and she just completely lies about him cheating. Or if he was cheating on her, like, she ends up being the abuser or something like that. I feel like context does matter in some way where everyone should not jump on the bandwagon immediately. Um in general, like, I feel like before you react, you should get all of the, like, the facts about what's going on. And it's, it's hard to do on Twitter because no one's going to give you the entirety of this. Um, and in this case, it, it seems justified as to what happened to him. Uh, but, like, when this was happening, I had actually just listened to a podcast uh, about um, an author who wrote a book about the Oculus Rift and did interviews with Palmer Lucky and stuff. And do you know who that is? I do not know. So Palmer Lucky, uh, he owns Oculus Rift. Facebook bought it for, I think, like $4 billion or something like that. And then uh, he was an open Trump supporter, uh, which was rare for Silicon Valley. And in 2016, the Daily Beast released an article that said Palmer Lucky had been, you know, tech billionaire, had been funding troll troll farms uh, for Donald Trump. Um, pretty incendiary headline, especially for a lot of people in his sphere, because they obviously, you know, Donald Trump is not popular in Silicon Valley. Um, so on Twitter, a lot of people started piling on Palmer Lucky about this. They're like, I knew it, this stupid, you know, this stupid red pill guy, he's creating this troll farm, blah, blah, blah. And he basically gets ostracized from Facebook and most likely fired because of his political views that he was a Trump supporter. And so the guy who's writing this book is a liberal, so I, I tend to believe him, and I've read his articles, and I've seen kind of what came out of this. Um, Palmer Lucky was not actually running a troll farm. He had donated $10,000 to, um, like, some super PAC, or not super PAC, but, you know, some political cause that put up one billboard in Pittsburgh that was a me making fun of Hillary Clinton. So there was, like, nothing online about it. And it just got me thinking, like, I don't support Donald Trump, but, like, this, the Daily Beast completely distorted that to ruin this guy, and no one fact-checked it. Yeah. Well, not ruin. And... He's still a billionaire, but he got treated very, <laughs> he got treated very unfairly in the public opinion on something like, if you still find that heinous that he gave $10,000 to a Donald supporter who ran one ad like that's you're right but I think that is way less of an issue than him saying he ran a troll farm because during the election how how many memes did you see of that stuff like it was very annoying oh uh, God, but yeah. like 
what they insinuate he was behind wasn't what he was behind. Yeah, well, it's interesting because uh, when I was looking around for this uh, for this topic <laughs> for the uh, pro Jared story, the first thing on Google was an article by the Daily Beast. And that's that's why that's see like if I had not heard this podcast, I would not have thought of the context, you know, this and been like, well, pro Jared, you know, seems worse, but just the idea of like piling on people when you don't really know the facts. Or, or, you know, you're trusting on people for the facts. And I think when you see people retreating, we, I think when you see people retweeting stuff or you see a lot of people commenting in the affirmative, it gives credence to that this is true, even if maybe it's not. Yeah. I mean, Twitter's a hellscape from which there is no escape. Um, it's, uh, there's a lot of really terrible things that, that come out of that platform, but... Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, stuff like this, I kind of just shrug at. Like, I'm I'm not in, really in this, uh, like, in this culture or community of, of YouTubers. I think it's, uh, I think it's a not great like thing that's that's popped up. This like weird, like you said, kind of C-list celebrities that just kind of pop up just from doing nothing but like talking i mean i i i say that tentatively because it's literally what we're doing now but <laughs> well we're not um, celebrities <laughs> no but uh like these these people who get famous just kind of by happenstance of like they're the ones that get popular doing the same thing that everyone else is doing but no one really knows who they are and so when stuff like this comes out you just have to be like well nobody knew who this person was and then they got mega popular and now people are finding out who this person is and so it's like uh, yeah like the whole the whole youtube culture is uh, a little little strange for me and it's it's always made me a little bit uneasy for kind of this exact reason yeah i mean i think youtube culture is ripe for exploitation of younger kids and just before we leave i want to be very clear like i do not support pro jared in this i just wanted to you know, have a discussion in general about, I guess, checking things out before blindly believing them online. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think happens too much on, for, for a lot of people. And, and you see it with the proliferation of fake news out there. All right, now it's time for the Amazon review game. Just a quick recap. I have three Amazon, five-star Amazon reviews for a movie. I will read them to Christian. Christian will get two yes or no questions to help him narrow them down for each review, and then he will have to take a final guess. We're keeping score, so if he gets it on the first review, he gets three points, two points for the second review, and one point for the third review, and then at the end of the year, we'll tally them all up. Are you ready, Christian? I am. An amazing classic Will Ferrell performance as always. If you're a fan of his work, you surely won't be disappointed. Not a film for the kiddos, but a great, easy-going, light-hearted adult comedy. Good one to watch when your brain needs to not work too hard. Does this movie involve sports? Mm, not as a primary focus. 
Does this movie have John C. Riley? Uh, no. Okay, that narrows it down. Uh, all right, give me another review. This movie is always great for a laugh. If you like movies like The Naked Gun, you'll love this one. The street fight between the competing network news teams is unforgettable. <laughs> uh, Anchorman. Yes. Uh, you, you're right. You could have gotten rough there, though. It could have been Anchorman 2. It could, well, John C. Riley was in Anchorman 2. Oh, was he? Okay. Yes. Way to narrow it down. <laughs> he plays the ghost of Stonewall Jackson. He's in the big fight. <laughs> uh, yeah, that one's hard to find a review for that does not just be like, Ron Burgundy's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> oh man, I should watch that again. That movie's great. Surprisingly low score on Amazon. I, I think it was like in the three something like three point something range. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, I, I think it's a really funny movie. <laughs> Alright guys, thanks for listening to our show. Christian, what are you gonna be checking out this week? Uh well, there's a couple movies I got behind on uh, in the, the Endgame frenzy. Uh, Detective Pikachu came out last week. I definitely want to give that a look. I've heard it's quite good. Uh, uh, I was told it was everything you could want from a live-action Pokemon movie, so I'm pretty excited for that. Hustle came out last week as well with uh, Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson that I want to see. John Wick 3 comes out this week. I've not seen John Wick 1 or 2, which I kind of feel bad about. My friends have told me they're both amazing, and I do kind of want to see this one, so I might have to uh, try and get caught up with that in the next couple weeks. Other than that, um, I downloaded one of the, the free game of the months for PlayStation called What Remains of Edith Finch. I've, I've heard from a couple people that it's, it's pretty fun and like it's a short play, so uh, I'm probably going to get into that this week. Cool. Uh, John Wick 1 is awesome. I really like John Wick 2, but I think that one might be more hit or miss for some people, but I am excited for John Wick 3, but I will not get a chance to see it this week. I'll probably (laughs) see it in another week or two. And same with Detective Pikachu. I'll probably see that in a week or two when the the hype force dies down and I can go to a cheaper movie for it. Yeah. Uh, This week, I am going to probably be playing more Mortal Kombat. I really just want to get the platinum on that one, and then I want to finish up Anthem. Uh, because it is pretty much, I think, dying as we speak. Uh, so whenever I finish that, we'll talk about that again, and we can go over everything that's happened since its release, where it's it's been insane what's been happening to that game. Uh, <laughs> it had it had like started low, got a little higher, and then I, I think went lower <laughs> lower than before, uh, and then. This week, too, I am reading a pretty cool book called The Mastermind. It's about this criminal named Paul LaRue who ran, like, an online pharmacy and then got into the drug world. It's pretty awesome. I think I'm going to finish it tomorrow. It I'll have read, like, it in three days. It's it's that good. Nice. But otherwise, not much else. Cool. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for checking out our episode. If you want to reach us, you can... Find us on Twitter at Gambots Network, or you can email us at gambots.blog at gmail.com. We'd really like to hear some suggestions for Amazon review games. And also, I guess we don't normally do this, but I've read we should. If you guys are listening on iTunes, if you could rate us, even if you don't like us, you know, we'd appreciate to get some feedback on it uh, and leave a review on there. Uh, thanks. Thanks, guys. Thank you.